We're going to talk today a little bit about John the Baptist. Um, first, as he was still in his mother's womb and as he was born, the words his father spoke over him. I'll say a little bit about his adult ministry. Um, but John the Baptist is the, the focus this morning. And thinking about him, uh, one of the first thoughts that came to my mind was our church. And here's why. John had a, a relatively small and simple ministry. I think about our church and its relatively small congregation. Uh, but it's had, in my view, an outsized impact uh, on the king, for the kingdom of God over the years. I think about John, who's whose whole reason for ministry and reason for being was not to build a name for himself, but to point to the one who would come, the Messiah, his relative, Jesus, who when Jesus appeared, uh, John um, you know, gave all attention and all um, due uh, attention to, to Jesus. I think of our, our church and the, the people who have grown up here in our youth ministry, in our Sunday school, in our worship, the people who have passed through here, uh, at seminary students and college students, uh, folks like you who are still here worshiping today, and the, the desire not to make a name for ourselves, but to serve God and his kingdom. I'm going to rattle off a few names. Some of you will not know many of these, but I just want you to be reminded of uh, this, this dynamic of a, a small and simple congregation blessing uh, through the training and raising up of others. I think of Jason and Josh Hinton and their, their families, Pratt and Ashley Butler, Carter Robinson, Nadine Ellsworth, Moran, Courtney and Wes Butler, Karen Catabaugh, Paul Hamilton, Greg Joins, Jeremiah Cochran, Mark and Catherine Ashbaugh, John Drexel, Maria Woodbury, Bess McLawhorn, Claire Mackey, and many more. I think of, I thought of Bobby as he was playing the piano and then doing the children's sermon. These are all folks who have come and spent time with us Bobby's the only one of those I, I named still here, but who the Lord has worked in their life and led them to some sort of ministry. Uh, some of these folks have pa are pastoring churches, some have planted churches, some have gone to the mission field, some have gone into the workplace, but filled with the desire to share their faith and bless others. Some are in youth ministry, some are in campus ministry, some, uh, like Bobby and like many of you, are using your gifts and talents to serve the Lord here in this place. But again, I'm reminded when I, when I think about John the Baptist, he existed to point people to Jesus. And that is at core, I think, one of really the heart of our, our mission and purpose here. And I've, I've seen us do that. There are a whole m bunch of more names that I don't know because they came the 20 years before I was here. But these are all folks that I've known and interacted with and you've known who are serving the Lord in some way. And here's what they all had in common with John the Baptist and with many of you. They believed in the promises of God, and they are committed to telling the story of what God has done and is doing in the world. And hear me clearly, I started with this, with some of these folks who have gone on to do these things, but this is about each of you as well. Because this is the call of a Christian, right? Not to make a name for yourself, but to trust in the promises of God and to tell and live the story of God wherever it is that you go. Whether you're still working, whether you're retired, whether you're a student, whether you go off someplace far or you stay someplace near, this is the calling of a Christian. And yes, John the Baptist was a unique person in the ministry that God gave him, but on the, the other hand, 
uh, he had the, the most common calling of all for those who would trust in God's promises. So I want to look with you at his life a little bit and talk about him and then uh, come back to this idea of us being the people who believe and trust God's promises and want to tell and live uh, for God's glory in the world. Briefly, before I get to our text today, um, yeah, you can probably leave it there. Uh, his story, the angel Gabriel, the one that we know about who came to Mary, the mother of Jesus, the same angel Gabriel came to Zacharias, who was the father of John the Baptist, who was a priest serving in the temple. And he said to Zacharias, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby. Now they were advanced in years. They had not been able to have children. And so this was a, a, a promise of a, a miracle, really. And it was in good, there was good biblical precedent for this. It sounds a lot like Abraham and Sarah, who also had not been able to conceive. Uh, and in their old age, God came and promised them a child. So this angel Gabriel came to Zacharias and said something very similar. And perhaps unwisely, perhaps wisely, Zacharias said to an angel, can you give me a sign so that I know this is true? Um, if an angel ever comes to you and you're pretty sure it's an angel, just do what they say, right? So the angel said, here's your sign. You will not be able to speak until the baby is born. Um, and you will know by that that the Lord is in this. And so Zacharias was um, rendered mute, could not speak. So the pregnancy progressed. We talked last week about how uh, partway through that pregnancy, Mary came pregnant with Jesus to visit with Elizabeth. And they recognized in each other the work that God was doing. And that's when Mary prayed the, uh, the Magnificat that we focused on last week. But the time comes for Elizabeth to give birth, and uh, folks are gathered around the house and all, and uh, the baby is born, and they all assume he will be named Zacharias Jr. after his father. And Zacharias still can't speak, writes on a tablet, no, no, his name will be John. We want to call him John. And at that moment, when he believed in what the angel had said and the baby was born, suddenly he could speak. And that's where we pick up today as we we listen in to his words, giving testimony to what God had promised, what God is doing, and then his, his blessing over his son. So before we get to that blessing, I'm going to start in Isaiah 9 with the, what I want to call the great promise. Now, there are more promises than this in the Old Testament scriptures, but this, this one in particular I want to highlight. And you've heard it a couple times now in the service, um, but we'll hear it one more time. Isaiah was writing, was a prophet, uh, which is a certain kind of preacher. He was a prophet to uh, the people of Eg uh, Israel who were in exile. They had been lost their land and were in uh, captivity in a foreign land and were soon going to be brought back, but they, they were cut off. They felt cut off from God. They were not cut off from God, but they felt that way. They had blown it. They had sinned. They had uh, worshipped foreign gods, and they had lost this, this great promised land. That was the whole you know, first part of their story was getting to the promised land, and then because of disobedience, they had uh, seemingly lost it. And, and many of the prophets in the second part of the Old Testament were just preaching this message to them, repent, turn around, come back to God. God hasn't forgotten you, but you need to remember God, and God will bring you home. And Isaiah was one of those, and he gave this imagery 
for what God was doing, very vivid, and it will sound very Christmassy to you because we use this imagery a lot. Uh, he wrote this, Isaiah, speaking for the Lord. The people who walk in darkness, it's Israel, they will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, Babylon, far away from home, um, the light will shine on them. God is saying, I haven't forgotten you. And there is hope. Even though you feel like you're abandoned and lost and in the shadows, uh, I am I'm coming for you and I will bring you home. And then he goes on just a few verses later to say the, the form that this light in the darkness will take will be a child. So in verse 6, he says, a child will be born, a son will be given, the government will rest on his shoulders. And if that sounds familiar to you, uh, it's most likely because you've either grown up going to church or you've heard Handel's Messiah. It's one of my, other than the Hallelujah Chorus, um, this is, and this is probably my favorite piece from Handel's Messiah. Um, and I'm this close to trying to sing it, but I'm not going to. Um, but, but all these words, uh, you know, they roll through my head. The for unto us a child is born. I can hear the, the men singing their little part now. Anyway, um, but these were Isaiah's words originally. For Zacharias, for Elizabeth, for their relatives, this would have been well known to them as well, but not because it was Handel's Messiah, but because it was about the Messiah. And though the, the people of Israel had returned from exile, had come back to their land hundreds of years earlier, um, Zacharias and Elizabeth and all the people of that day still felt um, the darkness, the oppression of Rome, because they, they were not a free and independent people. They lived under uh, the rule of the Roman Empire and Caesar and the taxes and the army and all that. So they still uh, would have resonated with these promises from the prophet that though you live in darkness, God is still going to send a Messiah, the Messiah, uh, as light in your darkness. And so they would have resonated with uh, these promises and believed in these promises. And I wanted to highlight this particular one that the promise was uh, revolved around a child who would be the Messiah. If you come on down uh, to verse, verses 6 and 7, a child will be born. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. Um, just to be clear, this isn't about the Zacharias' baby, John. This is about the Messiah that would uh, be born. But John, Zacharias' child, would prepare the way. The angel had revealed to him that his son would be essentially the last great prophet. The last great old, I mean, they're in past Old Testament times, but the last of the Old Testament prophets to, uh, to speak the message, get ready, the Messiah is coming. And, and part of those, those expectations were that God would send a final prophet, much like Elijah, to say, he's here, he's coming, get ready, prepare the road, the way, the king is here. So this is who John was to be. And so Zacharias prophesied in, in Luke now, verses 67 to 70. He's gotten his voice back. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us. And Zacharias prophesies and says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David, his servant. Zacharias is saying it's no longer a great promise that will one day happen. He's saying it has happened. Now, Jesus is still in Mary's tummy 
maybe six months, seven months pregnant, hasn't even been born yet. How does Zacharias know that it's going to happen? It's in process of happening. Well, here's two answers to that. One is he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he just knows stuff, right? But secondly, what we looked at last week, Mary has come to visit Elizabeth. The two babies uh, were told leapt in their mother's wombs, being in the presence of each other. The Holy Spirit filled the moment. And Elizabeth said to Mary, uh, I should have brought it up here, something about I, how is it that the mother of my Lord would come to me and visit me? Zacharias and Elizabeth knew already uh, the, what had been promised to Mary and to Joseph about who this child would be, and they recognized the role that their son would play. And it was enough between that and the Holy Spirit for Zacharias to say, the day has come. My son is going to announce it to the world, but, but God's salvation, God's redemption is here. It's no longer way out in the future. It's here. So he, he speaks this over his son. I want to look now at the, uh, the actual ministry that, that John then grew up to have. Uh, and it was to tell the story of what God was doing. No longer uh, to be in the future. What The story of what God has done and is doing. So Zacharias is still speaking over his newborn uh, son. This is down in verse 76. And he speaks this, um, I would call it a blessing over his son. He says, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. This is what John was to do, was to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. And the, even to the point that he would um, impart to them the knowledge of how to be restored to God, how to have their sins forgiven. If you look at John's message, it was, that, it was a one-point message over and over again. Repent, turn back to the Lord, that your sins will be forgiven. Why? Because the Messiah is here. So John's ministry... Um, if you, if you want to read about it in some detail, it's in Matthew chapter 3. Um, he, he worked outside of town at the Jordan River. He dressed kind of crazy in camel hair. He ate locusts and honey. Um, definitely a certain vibe to that. However, it was... Uh, I thought, well, is that what it means to be a prophet? And actually, it's probably that the people, you know, there were the city people, and there were those that tended herds and were more nomadic, and that was pretty much what they wore and ate. And he probably just lived out in the wilderness with them. But he camped out there at the Jordan River with this message of repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. The Messiah is coming. And then I want to focus in with you on um, his message of what God was doing and why God was doing. So this is in verses 78 and 79. Yeah, which are up there. This is why he could preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Verses 78 and 9. Listen for what God was doing and why God was doing it is to give to God's people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us 
to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. What God was doing, in metaphor terms, was sending light into the darkness. And there's that image of the sunrise from on a high coming into the shadows. Um, it reminds me of the beginning of the Gospel of John, uh, speaking of Jesus, saying he was the light of the world, in him was light and life. The darkness did not uh, understand it. Uh, but here in, you know, quoting from Isaiah in, on the mouth of Zechariah, again, just trying to help us understand the significance of the Messiah. He's light come into the world. That's what God was doing. He was sending salvation through uh, this, this person. But here's the why. Now I want to I break it into two parts. The reason God is doing this and the result of God doing this, this saving act. The reason given here was the tender mercy of God. You can see it on the top line up there. Now we talked last week about why did God send his son. It's because God so loved the world. This isn't the only answer uh, but I want to focus in on this this morning. Why did God send the Messiah at this time to redeem, to save his people? It's because of his tender mercy, his compassion, which is rooted in love. We, I don't know if it was this past summer or the one before, we looked at a bunch of Bible words over the summer. One of those was hesed. That's God's compassion, God's mercy. It's one of the defining characteristics of God. Uh, when we sing, great is thy faithfulness, we're talking about God's hesed, God's compassion. And Zacharias, speaking over his son about the, preparing the way for the Messiah, he says this is what God is doing and why he's doing it. It's because of his hesed, his compassion. He's sending the Savior into the world. And then the result of that, he goes on to say, is to guide our feet into the way of peace. I chose this passage because peace is our theme today. Peace is a theme in Isaiah. It's, it's a theme here in the words that Zacharias is speaking over his son that's another Hebrew word that we talked about, um, shalom. Because of God's mercy, God's hesed, God's compassion, he sends his Savior into the world in order that the world might know the shalom of God. That's peace with God. That's being reconciled, being right with God when before we were separated. It's peace with God, but it's also peace with those around us. You remember that great command of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. God's shalom is, is the, um, like the water that, that that swims in, right? It, peace with God is that reconciliation, that rightness with God, and it's how we treat one another. So this is what John the Baptist, Zacharias' son, this is what he was preparing the world for. He was training people to, to listen for and to receive the good news of what God was doing. That leads me full circle back to where I started to say, what, what is a church for? I mean, there's a lot of ways to answer that. Certainly, one of those is to gather for worship. And we do that. And what do we do in worship? We are, we do a lot of things, but the, the point of it is to have our attention drawn to God and to celebrate, to magnify, to glorify. This is who God is, right? These are God's promises, and God is faithful. And this is what God has done, that when we worship, we do that. We're also sent out, that's what the church is for, to tell the story of who God is and what God has done. So we gather to celebrate who God is and what God has done, and we're sent out to tell the story and to live the story 
of who God is and what he's done. And what that has looked like for us has been um, training and teaching our, our youth and our children and our young adults to go do that. And some have gone on uh, to do that in other places. And it's what we have done here this morning. In fact, I'll, another, besides Bobby playing this morning, I was thinking about our, our game night um, last night, Friday night. We had two of our, um, our, our youth come to that uh, and it was not a youth event, it was a church event, and they were warmly welcomed, and I just marveled at how uh, Heather and I, who gave them a ride, were not watching over them or, or their game night concierge. Every single Good Shepherd adult that was there you know, took them under their wing, visited with them, played a game with them, shared food with them. That's part of our, our DNA, and that's a simple thing with food and games, but it's a, it's a, um, a representation of this, this mission that we're on, right, to, to live out God's love, God's peace with each other, with our young ones, with all who come and pass through this place, whether it's just for a week or two or whether it's for years and years. And I would say it this way. Our, our purpose as a church, what a church is for, is to believe in the promises of God and commit to telling the story of what God has done and is doing. We have folks like those folks I named at the beginning who are doing this because they experienced it here at our church. But they experienced it here at our church because you who are here in this room have practiced this. And this is, this is the calling of what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus for each and every one of us. It is to believe in the promises of God. We talked about some of those this morning. And it's to commit to, to telling and living the story of God everywhere we go. That may be singing some carols this afternoon or delivering some cookies to a neighbor. It may be telling someone about Jesus and God's love for them. Boil down even more simply. This is, this is starting to sound like Jesus now. Believe and follow. So come to me. Believe in the one who has sent me. And come follow me. Trust me. Be my disciple. So John the Baptist was, in one sense, a great exemplar of that. But he's also what every one of us is supposed to be. You don't have to go out and live on the outskirts of town and dress funny and eat funny. You simply have to believe, trust in the promises of God, and tell and live out that story everywhere you go. And that's basic Christianity. May God bless uh, our hearing of his word and our trusting and living out of that word. Amen.